Welcome to another edition of the 1% Better Podcast with your host, Rob O'Donoghue. Hey guys, welcome to this week's 1% Better. If you're a long-time listener, you would have heard episodes out in the past, interviews with folks that are big into meditation, practicing mindfulness, getting very much connected into their inner self and understanding themselves better big into that area, love learning a bit about it, different practices. So that's something we cover a lot. Another topic I like to cover is adventure races or running or long distance races, a couple early on, I think one about the spine race in the UK. So both of those things I'm quite interested in and think they're both very good for the mind and the body as well, if you can do it in probably right proportions. About a month or two ago, I noticed on the BBC website an article talking about a 3,100 mile race and it linked to a meditation guru called Sri Chinmoy. I needed to find out more, so I checked in, read a bit about it, and thought, what a, an amazing idea, what a crazy idea, but also an interesting one. It would be pretty cool to talk to somebody that has ran in it. So I did a bit of research. Turns out there's a gentleman from Ireland. His name is Nirbasha McGee, and he has run the race three times over the last five years. And he is big into meditation, and he is very much big into the areas of mindfulness and practicing. Uh, Heart meditation is one that we talked about during this episode. But also, uh, as you can imagine, he's big into running and combining the two. So I was fascinated to hear this story, and it didn't disappoint. It's an interesting journey through Nirbash's life from the ages of late teens to early 20s when he got into meditation, and then how he combined the running and some of the practices he has. And he shares so much, very, very interesting interesting and you can absolutely detect from listening the level of joy and passion and fulfillment he gets from doing this. So I hope you enjoy it. Before I get into the episode, just one other thing. You might be also familiar with this Slack community, an online group that I've set up a few months back and we do monthly challenges where we kind of hold each other accountable to stop something, start something, continue something more over the course of the month to try and improve 1% every day or even more. This month of November, that's coming up, we're trying something different. We're calling it No Insert Here November. So for me, I'm doing a No Coffee November. Not looking forward to it, but I want to challenge myself and see if I can eliminate it for the month. Probably harder than giving up the booze. Others are thinking of doing something similar. Uh, One mentioned a No Snooze button November. So maybe if you're interested, sign up to the group. It's free, absolutely. Just a bit of fun. We'll hold you to account and hopefully you get something from it. I'll put a link in the show notes. You can find it there and I'll be tweeting about it and posting about it. Or it's on the website as well. Just go to the homepage and sign up bit of crack and hopefully you'll get something beneficial from it. Right, that's enough. I'll hand you over to the very, very interesting Nirbasha McGee. Enjoy. And I'm really, really excited to talk to my guest today, Nirbasa McGee. Uh, Nirbasa, welcome to the show. Uh, well, th- thanks for inviting me. It's uh, it's great to have a fellow Irishman on the show as well um, to talk about running, to talk about uh, the areas of self-transcendence, I think, um, will probably be the, the major focuses uh, during the next while. And I guess how you came to my attention, Nirbasa, I, I think it was on the, the BBC website, I saw an article recently about this race that is 3,100 miles long, and it's ran... Uh, around a single half mile block in New York every year 
and I was instantly fascinated by it. Um, and uh, I'm looking forward to hearing a bit more about it. As, as somebody that's ran it, uh, definitely want to hear about your story there. So, so maybe before we dive into that, maybe give yourself an introduction, talk a bit about your, your own background, um, and certainly maybe start talking a bit about how, uh, how you got connected in with the, uh, the 3100 race as well. Okay, good. Um, yeah, I guess where to start is always the question. Um, <laughs> well, I guess I am Irish, but I, I've been living in Iceland for the last uh, <clears throat> six years, um, which is <laughs> a whole other story in itself uh, as to how I got there. I guess the two things you talked about in your introduction were meditation and running. So I could talk a little bit about how I got into both of those. Um, I was actually... Uh, um, fortunate, you know, like when I was going to secondary school, you know, I had a circle of friends um, and, you know, some of those friends were actually into meditation. And so then when I went to college, I always had a very um, positive idea about what meditation could do. But there's definitely a big difference between meditation as, oh, you know, that that's a good idea. I must take it up sometime mm. and um, actually practicing it. And I'm actually lucky enough to be able to give meditation classes. You know, I, I, I give in Ireland and also here in Iceland. And definitely one of the things I emphasize, I think partly from my own personal experience is, you know, the key to a good meditation practice is actually just getting your foot in the door. You know, even if it's only just like five minutes a day of daily practice, you know, that is like the most crucial decision you can take, you know, because once you have that five minutes of meditation practice, it really is like building a, a daily habit. And within a couple of weeks, you know, it's, it then it becomes almost naturally, you know, some part of your being, you know, begins to wonder, you know, if you haven't, if you've skipped your daily meditation, you know, <laughs> what's going on? I, you know, I haven't had my daily quotient of, of peace and joy. So uh, you could say I took that step myself around probably around the age of 20 or 21, I was in college at the time. And, you know, I, I, it was kind of interesting. It was actually just a book one of my friends gave me. And I would read the, you know, whatever instructions they had to offer. And I was just somehow inspired to do it. I was doing it twice a day. What was but the book? Do you remember? I actually don't remember. Okay. I've had one of these grand sounding titles, you know, like <laughs> meditate like a master within seven days or okay. something like this, you know, it promises yeah. more on the title that, 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 that it actually delivers. I have a book recommendation page on the website. So that's why I kind of ask questions around specific books, but that's no, that's no problem at all. I just thought it might stand out. Sorry for interrupting. No, no, no worries. Um, uh, and actually, I, well, I do uh, have to credit that book with actually starting my meditation practice, even if I wasn't meditating like a master after seven days. Um, you know, at, at least it, it, it somehow got me on the road. And so I had my own little meditation practice maybe for about a year and a half. And, you know, I definitely felt the difference. You know, sometimes even if my meditation, if I didn't feel I had a good meditation, I would actually still notice the difference in my day-to-day -day life. I was more aware. I was more peaceful. Um, you know, uh, things that would normally be like red button trigger issues were all of a sudden kind of washing off me like like water off a duck's back. But somehow what I was missing, I, would, I think I was missing two things. Um, first, you know, you definitely get to a stage where you feel you can go higher or you can go deeper. You know, you can have more peace, more joy. Um, 
And I wasn't even able to articulate it. I didn't really even know that much about, you could say, spirituality or about, you know, spiritual paths. But I just knew that there was somehow a deeper source or a deeper potential. You know, I, I didn't even really know what I was looking for. Was it, it was like a feeling that you were being pulled a little bit into it more? Yeah. As in, yeah. You could say, like, very naturally, you know, some part mm. of myself, it's almost like going to the gym. Uh, you know, once you've gotten to a certain stage, then there's some part of you that naturally feels, okay, let's, I, you know, I, I can go a little longer or I can do a little bit more. And uh, somehow I was at a stage where, you know, this book, um, you know, it really wasn't able to take me any further. So I was really looking for something deeper. And so I went to a set of free meditation classes organized by the Sri Jamoy Center. You know, at that time, I thought, OK, if I just had, a, a you know, a, a new technique or a new, um, you know, uh, yeah, some more techniques, maybe that would do the trick. But um, what that um, class did it actually you could say reunited me with the second thing I was missing um earlier that year I had been on the uh, Camino de Santiago this famous pilgrimage route and you could say there I definitely found some kind of sense of you know the divine or God or you know the universe you know something that kind of worked for me you know that wasn't a concept that was kind of being imposed from outside but something I really felt was like part of my life and so you could say for about six months, I existed in a situation where my meditation practice, you know, was all about self-awareness and all about, you know, yeah, increasing my daily awareness. And that existed in one part of my being. And then this whole sense of, you could say, God or the divine existed in another part, you know, <laughs> and um, going to those classes really, you could say, brought the two together. You know, I really started, first of all, um, you know, Sri Chamoy advocates meditating on the heart center. Um, it, you could say it's the place where a lot of people, when they, you know, refer to themselves, they naturally, um, you know, touch their chest because they feel, you could say, a sense of their essence. So it's a very um, natural and powerful concentration point for meditation. Um, so when I started meditating on the heart center, my, my meditation, they just took off. Um, and I was really having experiences that I, I didn't think were even possible. So that actually encouraged me to, um, you know, pursue, you know, to become a part of the Shichimoy Center um, and to, um, you know, follow that particular way of meditation. I was just going to say, can I, can I ask again for people listening, this was what did your meditation practice involve? Was it on your breath? As you said you're focusing maybe on your heart center. Was it, you mm. know, maybe just talk me through the, the process you would go through for those meditations, even the initial ones and maybe the, yeah, the further exactly. ones. No, that's a, that's a very, very good question. So, um, for example, these heart center meditations, what's actually, um, you could say initially, you know, I would start with a technique, you know, of breathing and feeling that my breath was coming from the heart and then exiting from the heart center. Um, I would do concentration exercises um, on a candle and feeling the same thing, that my breath was coming from the, 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 the candle into my heart center and then leaving through the heart center. And one thing I found out, there's a big difference between concentrating in the mind when you're trying to use your mental effort and concentrating in the heart. Um, when you use a, a, a concentration technique on the heart, the heart has this quality that of oneness 
that it actually tries to identify with the thing that it is um, meditating on. So you actually feel a, a tremendous sense of connection and a tremendous sense of unity, not only with the thing you're meditating on, but then that actually naturally grows to expand with the universe. Um, you find yourself coming out of meditation um, with much more goodwill towards people. You, you basically have much more, you could say, love and patience and understanding of people, um, even though they're still the same people with the same faults. But you're much you're, you're much kinder on other people and you're much kinder on yourself. Um, and actually what happens is um, the techniques themselves are really only like uh, I always use the analogy of like a city map. Um, you know, when I first, let's say when I first moved to Iceland, you know, and I live in Reykjavik now, of course, I needed, you know, to look up the map on my phone, you know, to figure out where I was. But then after a couple of weeks, you can actually throw away the city map. And the same with the techniques. So I had to use techniques in the beginning with heart centered meditation. But now actually what happens um, when I sit down to meditate um, through those techniques, you could say I got to know the city, you know, you could say the heart city. And so you could say nine times out of 10, I enter very easily into that heart space. And it's a, a space that exists in silence. So in silence, there's almost a part of you inside yourself that knows which way to go, that knows to go higher, or that knows to go deeper. So I just try to follow um, that inner feeling. Um, I did say nine times out of 10, you know, sometimes, you know, one time out of 10 or, you know, we all have days where we wake up and we're not in the mood. And definitely like then, you know, a technique uh, can be quite useful to bring you back into that space. But it is definitely you definitely feel that this part of yourself, this inner spiritual part of yourself is a very natural part of your being. And very often it's just been waiting it's just been waiting to um, be contacted and, and explored. And once you could say after, you know, a few weeks or a month or however long, it's, it's, it's different for different people. Um, then, yeah, you, you basically naturally begin to explore that space. It becomes a part of your being. Hmm. Very, very interesting. Thanks for explaining it. If you were to look at yourself now or, 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 or uh, you know, a year or two into your meditations when you were making that progress, um, and before you got into it, would you have believed this was possible? Like when you were starting out, did you did you obviously go in with an open mind? What was the was the draw into it? What what was the maybe reason you got started as well? It's a very <laughs> it's quite interesting, and it's also because I wasn't like I was very a very unhappy person before I started meditating. You know, I had. Uh, um, you know, I was studying something very interesting in college. I had friends. I had, um, you know, I, I had a lot of things to keep me going. But I guess the one thing meditation has given me, um, and I guess it was the thing I was looking for, even though I didn't realize it at the time, was a sense of fulfillment, a sense of um and, and you could say also a sense of purpose and not even a sense of purpose that I can, you know, quote in 10 words, like a bumper sticker, like this is what mm -hmm. I'm doing with my life. It's yep. more a feeling when you get up out of bed in the morning that, you know, there's something calling you. There's a purpose calling you um, and that when you set about fulfilling that purpose, even the act of starting about doing it um, gives you a tremendous sense of joy. Um, the fact of actually doing it, you know, um, and I guess that's another thing that changed. You know, very often I would be happy if things worked out the way I wanted them to. Um, and then I would be sad if things didn't. Um, but 
I guess what meditation has taught me to to actually cherish just even the doing, you know, like basically if you get a, an inner feeling, you know, to follow something good with your life, to actually you follow that inner feeling and just get joy just from from doing that thing. Um, very often, you know, I have you could say a lot of different projects going on. Some of them work out, some of them don't, mm-hmm. but. It's 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 the actual doing of those things that give me joy. Even with meditation, um, you know, some meditation days are better than others. But there's there's something about just the fact of you know sitting down and you know making some time for yourself, um, you know, and, and following that inner feeling that uh, you know there, there's a joy that comes out of that in and of itself. You know, regardless of of the experience that you may or may not have had. So I guess in summary, it would have. Uh, first of all you know this feeling of purpose and then secondly you know this feeling of getting joy just from you could say doing the things that make you happy rather than waiting to achieve x y and z before you're happy okay very good very good so where did fitness and exercise come into the equation i guess and obviously that's where the the running and the the race could probably come up in the conversation well I have to say, before I started meditation, um, you know, I did sport in college and running was part of that and I hated it. Um, and in fact, I would even have this technique while I was running, like absolutely the opposite of meditation. I would try and fill my mind with as many thoughts as possible to try and distract myself from the fact, you know, that I was actually running. Mm. Um, it, it wasn't actually a particularly good technique and I still hated running as much as ever. Um, I guess the one thing meditation taught me to do was to be in the right inner space when I'm running. You could say one of Sri Chamoy's philosophies is um, if it's something positive, you know, like music or running or creativity or um, whatever it is, you can really bring meditation into that. So, for example, um, and actually this happened very quickly after I started uh meditating with Sri Chamoy, one of the people in the center had, he was going to run the Dublin City Marathon and he asked me to, well, actually he didn't originally. <laughs> I think it was sort of his idea to get me to run with him. But originally he said, you know, come on out to Marley Park and help me train. So I would start, the most I'd ever done before um, I, you know, started meditating with the Sri Chamoy Center was five miles. So he said, come on out and run five miles with me and help me train. And then, of course, the next week, five miles became seven miles, seven miles became 10 miles. And then at some point we ran a half marathon. And then the idea came to me that maybe I could actually do the marathon. Um, But very quickly, um, you know, from, you know, meditation with the Sri Chamoy Center, I really got into the space of actually running the right way. You know, I would imagine that I was running along eternity's road. You know, I feel the sense of eternity and vastness, you know, running through nature, you know, feeling the, you know, tremendous peace that came from nature. And, you know, maybe initially I would have to, you know, um, you could say consciously concentrate on it. But it came very, very natural um, uh, to me, you know, and I actually began to really appreciate uh, my running and I actually started doing it every day. Um, you could say just as a part of my meditation practice, you know, even if my meditation w- wasn't going that well, you know, I was almost guaranteed 100 percent when I ran, you know, I would be a more tranquil more calm, more happy person when I got back in. So it definitely became a very, very big draw for me. Um, Now, that being said, 
it was many, many years before I even thought of entering into the ultra running world. Um, you know, my initial goal, like I said, I ran Dublin City Marathon. I ran it next year. So for the first few years, I was basically doing one, maybe two marathons every day. And um, every year, I would say. Not sorry, every, every year. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we haven't got to the race yet, but we're doing one or two marathons yeah. every day. Oh, God. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'm still doing one or two, 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 uh, two every year. And at this stage, I was actually aware of these ultra distance races because, um, you know, Sri Chamoy actually founded them. Um, he founded it like at, at the time we had a six and 10 day race that took place every April in Flushing Meadow Park. And we had this 3,100 mile race, but it was something I would hear about. Um, I didn't even know that well, the people who did them, you know, so it was really in the realm of that's inspiring, but I couldn't ever see myself doing it anytime soon. Um, and it was like that for many years. I never got a, a strong feeling to do ultra running or ultra racing at all. Um, I think around 2008, I started doing slightly longer races, like 47 mile races, you know, 50 mile races, that kind of thing. But really, it never entered my head to uh, do these kind of races at all. And then what actually happened in 2012, um, we usually... Um, when Sri Chamoy was alive, he passed away in 2007, we would go and visit him every year in April and August in New York, all the students from around the world. And that's something we still do to this day. You know, every August and every April, um, you know, we, we all arrive together for, you know, a program of meditation and music and running and basically everything that we do. And so that... April, um, usually there's the six and 10 day race that we organize um, basically starts immediately after the August, sorry, the April celebrations. So it's basically usually the last week of April and maybe, you know, the first few days of May. And at that time, I was working in web development and I traveled to San Diego to work on a, on a project. And then on the way back, I happened to stop in New York. And we had, um, you know, there was a, a meditation taking place, which I meant, uh, which I went to. And then afterwards, somebody suggested, why don't we travel up and 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 then see the race? It's going on, you know. So the I should say something about this six or ten day race. Um, so basically, it's two races that take place simultaneously. Um, what happens is is that the clock for the ten day race. Uh, starts and then four days later the clock for the six-day race starts and then they all finish at the same time and in between that time period the clock never stops now obviously you're you can take rests however much you want you can sleep however much you want but you have to be aware if you want to do well that the clock is still ticking um and so obviously so, sorry, go on. so the so the race itself isn't a distance race it's it's just how much you can do in that time is it Exactly, exactly. It's the most miles you can do either in six days or in 10 days. And so I had never, ever even been to that race before. And, and by this time, I'd been a student of uh, Shichim Moyes for nearly 10 years, I think. Um, but somebody said, why don't we go up to the race? And so about that time, it was about a mile drive away in Flushing Meadow Corona Park. And we reached the race maybe about 11 o'clock at night. And so the car pulled up. Uh, and where exactly where the car pulled up, it was actually right, you could say, beside the racetrack. So when I got out of the car, um, I basically stepped right onto the racetrack. 
And there was such a tremendous feeling of peace. You know, there were actually not that many runners out on the track because usually around that time, let's say between, you could say 10 o'clock and two or three o'clock in the morning, a lot of the runners, that's when they go to bed. Um, But it was so peaceful. And so, uh, and I remember the feeling when my, immediately when my fit at the uh, ground, I immediately got this very strong inner feeling that this is something I could do. Um, and in fact, I should maybe even try and do it next year. Now, bear in mind, I had never even ran um, more than 50 miles before this in, in one continuous goal. So it's a big step between this and, let's say, running for six whole days and 10 whole days. Um, one interesting thing, actually, that happened, and it sort of in, illustrates, you could say, the interplay between the, the mind and the heart. You know, um, very often you get a very strong inner feeling from the heart and then the mind kind of comes in and tries to is a little bit scared you know so immediately I get this very strong inner feeling but then my mind comes yeah but uh, gives you all okay, the reasons not to do days. something yeah exactly exactly so it, it sort of kind of tries to force a little bit of compromise or tries to limit very often the mind you know especially this hesitating mind can be quite limiting so I say okay fine six days um, and so, so then I, I actually, you know, I started training, you know, I, you know, thankfully I had a whole year in which to, you know, go from, you could say 50 miles to a state where I could actually do, um, six days. And of course, my first goal was a 24 hour race, um, held in London. Um, so I trained for that and I did it. Um, and then I was training, like I was still living in Dublin at the time. And very often, one thing I found worked for me, um, you know, because at the time I was doing a lot of computer related work, I was self-employed. Um, so I um, and one thing I found from the running that I would my brain would get a little, quite spacey after a very long run. So what I ended up doing was actually doing all my running late at night so I could get a good night's sleep um, before I, 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 I started again. And I had two very interesting experiences, even from the training. You know, the training itself was a very, you could say, spiritually rewarding experience. Um, at the beginning, I actually wasn't actually doing as much training as you could say I would I would do now for for one of these big races. Um, every day I would try and do between an hour and an hour and a half, and then I would try and do at the weekend kind of long runs back to back Saturday and Sunday. You know, so I would start with four hours Saturday, four hours Sunday. You know, the next week, you know, five hours Saturday, five hours Sunday. You know, maybe take a break. You know, um, and so on until I was doing, you know, six and a half, seven hours Saturday and six and a half, seven hours Sunday. You know, somehow trying to get a sense of the actual race, the way the race would be, where you know, you basically as soon as you get up, you're back out the door again on the road. And um, I had two very interesting experiences, you know, from the training. Um, and also just from the lead up to the race. The first experience actually happened not during training, but happened during a meditation class. Um, so I was given a meditation class. And actually during the meditation class, I showed a very nice documentary called, um, I th- it's actually available to watch, you know, on Vimeo. It's called Spirit of a Runner. So it's a half an hour uh, documentary, I think that was done in 2008 about the race. And the people that came to the meditation class were, you know, asking all kinds of questions. So you could say I was very much in that race atmosphere. And then I woke up the next day and during my morning meditation. Oh, yeah, that's the other thing. During the meditation class, you know, uh, people were talking about, you know, what an amazing inner experience it was. And then 
during my morning meditation the next day, I got this, you could say again, this inner voice saying, well, if it's going to be such a profound inner experience, why not do it for 10 days instead of six days? So I ended up changing my registration from the six day race to the 10 day race. Um, and then the second thing that happened was that, uh, that obviously I had to try, you know, try and combine my training with my, um, you know, my day-to-day work. And it just so happened that before I went to New York, I, I think I had three like very big projects to finish. And mentally, I just couldn't imagine how the, these projects were going to happen. And um, I, I, I should say that <clears throat> maybe about five years earlier, um, I was profoundly moved by a talk I heard by one of Street and Wise students, um, actually in London, um and she was talking about um she actually works very hard she works as the as um she oh yeah she basically has a music school for um londoners from a low-income background and you know she works very hard to try and you know raise the money you know uh, charitable donations for the school to keep the school running and i think even a couple of years ago she got awarded an mbe for her services but at the time she got up and just gave a talk about her her meditation life because she's been meditating ever since she was a little girl and she said something very interesting which which really struck me. She said, you know, it's got to the stage where I just sort of exist and all of these things happen around me. And I found that somehow very remarkable. I, I didn't quite know what it meant at the time um, or how that's possible because I knew how hard she worked and I knew how hard it was, you know, to keep something like that up and running. Um, so it's one of those things that sounded extremely intriguing, but at the same time, I didn't quite know what it meant. But then when I started training, I said to myself, I'm going to make the commitment that no matter what happens with these jobs, my training is going to come first and forward in my life. And so no matter what I did, I always did my daily training. And then what actually happened, I actually began to realize what she was actually talking about. You know, by putting, you know, the important things first, everything else sort of not quite finished themselves, but it it really was almost like that, you know, and it almost became like I was an observer just watching every, you know, I was, you could say I was in my heart or in my soul. And it's like, my soul was like just watching all of these things happening. Like I was still working like crazy. I was doing everything, but some part of me was at the same time, extraordinarily detached and peaceful from the whole process. And, you know, that I wasn't, identified or stressed about anything you know that I was almost like just watching the whole thing happen you know so that was a very um <clears throat> you know pr- you know profound experience that came directly from the training okay so there's <clears throat> almost an element of self transcendence in that in 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 itself right that you're exactly exactly you would hear and I would try and advocate in my own day to day work and and advocate to others that people sometimes are stressing a lot over a project over a deadline or whatever but if you just kind of say, look, you've got to this point in your life and all of those things you've stressed about in the past haven't really mattered that much because you're here now mm. and you've been successful. So it's, you know, obviously it's just a, probably a different uh, angle or metaphor for that perhaps, but um, we do get caught up on our own head. So it's, it's fascinating that through this experience, through this training, through the practice, you're you're able to switch off effectively and and let all these things happen, but still be, I think sometimes what I hear as well, and I'm kind of going on tangents, but 
you know you hear about people meditating or or, or practicing that heavily and they the thought might be oh they'll lose their edge or they won't be as dedicated or focused on what they need to do work-wise but mm-hmm. you know maybe when you do it and you're you're practicing so much and um and so well trained from that perspective it, you you still have that age it's just you don't allow yourself to get stressed and a lot of times you see people getting stressed and you know that's not going to help things yeah but exactly there's almost an impression if you're not stressed you're not working hard enough sort it's of thing, true you know? right it's it's absolutely true i think also there's a, a misconception and again a little bit partly based in you could say ancient truth is that <clears throat> meditation is somehow a, you know, people feel that meditation is somehow a way of not accepting life responsibilities, a way of escaping from the world and, and going off into the moon world. And there was a certain extent in the in the ancient past to which that was true, you know. I mean, people really did advocate, you know, the world is just so full of, you know, suffering and and, you know, so we have to go away to some remote mountain hideout. But I think definitely most meditation teachers, you know, today would ab- advocate that you have to basically you have to live your life you have to um accept your life you have to to love life and if you're going to practice meditation it has to be with a view to cultivating the qualities you need to stay in the world and to be happy um so and you know meditation should really be all about um you know giving you what you need to be able to do everything you know that you need to do but at the same time, you know, still have this very deep inner core of peace and, and, and satisfaction. Mm-hmm. Very, very good. Just one question kind of around the training, the physical <clears throat> elements of that. Like, were you lucky to be not picking up injuries? Did you balance your training? from? Because I've done marathons as well. And uh, obviously marathons, not like ultras, but my back would start breaking down and I'd have issues mm-hmm. and I'd have to kind of implement a lot more uh kind of stretching and, and maintenance type work to, to keep my body in shape and not, you know, completely quit the whole uh, running escapade. But how did you approach that or was it were you lucky to just keep running? I think there's two aspects to it. And number one, I do believe I have been very lucky, you know. Um, like I'm about to mention number two, but <laughs> I'm not sure whether, you know, it's enough to account for number one in that I have been you know, uh, very lucky. I mean, I definitely, you know, have gotten injured, but it's never to the point where it's it's irrevocable. You know, I've always, even if it's during a race or if it's, you know, I've always been able to find some kind of workaround or some kind of, um, um, you know, way way to keep going. Um, but number two, um, and like I said. It may it may have a lot to do with number one, and it may, and it may explain a lot of number one. You, I, I definitely believe your the attitude to which you start training and to which you start running, you know, is very very important. Um, I definitely, if you're not running for the right reasons, um, you're definitely much more likely to get injured or to push too hard. You know, if you're running from a sense of um, whatever it is to prove something to somebody to to prove uh, something to yourself um you know there's so many different reasons uh, or different you could say um mental um attitudes you know which you can have which and I, I see it a lot actually when i'm in the middle of one of these big races 
um, that somehow I almost can't articulate it. I can't articulate it in a sense that, oh, that person is having that injury because he's suffering from this mental issue. But you do definitely perceive some link between people's mental state and, you know, the injuries that they suffer. You know, a very obvious case is when people try to do things, you know, like with pride or with ego or, you know, I'm going to, <laughs> like, you know, I'm going to beat this guy or what and, and they end up pushing too hard and they end up getting injured that way you could say that's you know very much the most obvious case but you definitely do see you know a relationship between you could say mental blockages and and physical injuries and definitely when I run I very much try to be free of all that you know I very much try to have the right attitude you know if I don't you know you could say if you very often you'll get that right right attitude from within but very often if i'm in a stage where whatever you know my mind is going and i'm not able to reach that inner space you could say i i i, I try and pray to have the right attitude you know whatever that right right attitude is i i, I try to actually have a very childlike consciousness when i'm running you know to try and run like a basically like a, a seven-year-old boy running through the back of a gardener running around the streets you know if you just have this joy of movement have this joy of you know because at the end of the day that's why i'm doing it i'm doing it to have more joy in my life to have more spiritual progress in my life so i definitely think as well as being you know quite fulfilling um you know that that's has played a huge role in my life um you know, helping to ward off injuries over the years. When you are running, you're paying attention to to what's coming up. So if you do get a, you know, if you're if you're feeling pain or if you're getting a sense of uh, something's not right, do you? I think you said you kind of. How do you dr- address that in your in your mind in your meditation as you run? And do mm. you sometimes you say, look, I I do need to stop today because I I need to just allow this pass or, or whatever just just interested on yeah that. exactly um it's a very good question and again you could say it's very much an inner ex- um, um, question some of it is experience you just know from um you know once you the more races you do the more you know what's serious and what's not um so uh, some of it is definitely life experience but then some of it is definitely you begin to learn again between this inner voice, you know, telling you, you know, when you've reached your limit and you could say the mind's hesitations and the mind's doubts, you know, whether the mind is, is, is really just looking for an excuse to um, stop. And at the beginning, you know, when you start, um, you're, it's not that easy, you know, to be able to tell between one and the other, but definitely the more, um, you run the more you're, you're you're able to differentiate those those two voices because it's also definitely important to know your limits, um, you know, and and know at what what point you can't uh, push beyond. And so, I think definitely meditation and the inner voice um, definitely helps you to do that. Yeah, um, you really do. You, you you do get a very you know strong inner sense of of um you know when you can go and and you know when you have to take it a little bit easy okay very good the so just to maybe finish on the 10 mile race you've signed up for or sorry the 10 day race um you signed up for for that how did that that experience go for you that the first time you did it yeah exactly um so that was that was 2013 when i first did it and I have to say it was quite a revelation. You know, when you start these races, everybody tells you, 
two things you have to remember is number one, don't go too fast on the first day. And number two, your goal is really just to finish. And then a good friend of mine who had actually done this 3,100 mile race, um, he was giving me a little bit of advice and he said, you know, for you, I think a good goal, you know, beyond those first two goals is maybe like 500 miles. That's 50 miles a day for the 10 days. You know, it's quite, it's a modest goal, but it's, it's, it's a good one. You know, obviously do these first two ones and then, um, you know, if you can reach 500, 500 miles, you know, that's, that's a pretty good goal. So I really wasn't, you know, thinking too much beyond that, you know, so I did look after myself on the first day and I was expecting, you know, I heard a lot of stories from a lot of the, could say, participants, you know, they'll run quite fast the first day, they'll run a little bit slower on the second day, and then by the third day, they are reduced to walking. And I fully expected to be <laughs> one, of the, one of that number, you know. Um, and actually, on the second day, I passed by um, Deepali Cunningham, who's actually the world record holder, the women's world record holder for six days. And so she runs this six day race, or um, at least until quite recently, she would have run it every um, year for like 25 years. You know, so she's a real veteran of the race. And, you know, of course, she's like checking in, you know, on, on, on the new people and, you know, how's it going? And I said, fine, you know, like I'm still running. And, um, you know, but obviously, you know, by the third day, we'll see what happens. I fully expect to be slowing down, same as everybody else. And she kind of looks at me and goes, mm, let's see about that. I'm not too sure about that. Um, you know, <laughs> and I guess she's seen a lot of runners, so maybe she knew something uh, I didn't. But actually, it was true. On the third day, I was able to keep running. On the fourth day, I was able to keep running. And I was so happy and grateful to be able to keep running when everybody else was around me was, um, you know, slowed down to a walk. Um, you know, so that in itself was a really a beautiful experience of of gratitude just to be just to be able to keep running. Um, what's actually interesting. Um, during that um, first race, I got two or three, you could say, like really like cosmic experiences, um, which I've actually never gotten in any subsequent race. I definitely do have spiritual experiences in all the races I run, but this kind of like cosmic blowout, like, whoa, dude, <laughs> kind of experience. <laughs> You know, um, I, 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 at least two or three points uh, during this race I got, which was which was uh, just unbelievable. And then on the the last day, um, I actually was doing, um, you know, I was I was definitely doing more than you know fifty miles a day. In fact, it was close to sixty miles. And at some point, actually, uh, another one of the race veterans is said, you know, like I remember, you know. Um, you know, we'd basically run all night the last day. And so I had it in this idea. I had this idea that that's basically what everybody did. They just ran all night on the last day, you know, and then the finish is, a, is at 12 midday the next day. So that's actually what I did. And I ended up doing something like 90 or 91 miles on the last day. And, and, and I did 622 miles in total um, and finishing in fourth place. And then later on, I actually found out you know, that a lot of the runners didn't, they actually just went to their tents, you know, like normal on the last day. But it's kind of funny, you know, when you get this mental idea that, okay, mm -hmm. that's what everybody does, yeah. you just end up doing it, you know, whereas, uh, you know, so it's very interesting how the mind, um, you know, when it lets you do something and it doesn't stand in your way, um, you know, like how uh, how very our, our physical reactions are shaped by, you know, our mental attitude.
Absolutely. It goes back to what you said and what I what I find comes up a lot in these conversations with guests and what I do kind of myself in coaching is, is limiting beliefs. And when you put those kind of lids on what you think you're capable of, that's all you're capable of. Um, but when you remove it or are told something different, your brain uh, mind expands to to that uh, capacity. It's uh, it's fascinating how, how that works for sure. Yeah, exactly. I mean, meditation, uh, very often it's about unlearning, you know, a lot of the limiting beliefs that you, you know, that you've basically picked up over the years, you know, Um, and learning to have more faith in yourself and and more faith in, you could say, your soul or whatever. Yeah. Very good. So to go from the 10 day to the 3100, I'd love to hear about, you know, your your, your, your experience. what you decided how you how to go for for that for the first time and and maybe a brief overview of your your experience right, exactly. of that yeah um well from that first 10 day um the race organizers of the 3100 mile race um they don't just accept basically anybody that walks in the door you know you have to have some previous ultra running pedigree and one you could say informal rule of thumb that they use um, deciding who is eligible and, and who isn't is actually the performance during the 10 day. You know, they basically say if you run uh, 60 miles a day for 10 days, then, you know, that's a good informal qualifying mark. And so obviously in running 622 miles, I basically crossed that qualifying threshold. So that's the first time, you know, that it actually occurred to me to even do that race. Um, and it kind of I, I I kind of put the question off for a long time because it's scary, you know. A race of that magnitude is really you know quite a scary thing. And, um, yeah, and, so, and just just to be clear, just so I can call, like you have fifty two days to to complete the the thirty one hundred right, and effectively yeah, exactly. you're run you're running from six a.m. to midnight every day is the kind of the the time that you're allowed to run, I guess. Yes, exactly. So. Uh, on average, you have to do roughly 60 miles a day in order to be able to finish within the cutoff. So that's why um, they used, um, you know, the 10-day performance of 60 miles a day as a rough guide as to who's who's allowed to um, or who's eligible um, uh, to, to, to enter. So obviously, I had I'd passed that eligibility threshold. Um, but for a long time, I, you know, I, that year I just kind of kicked the decision into touch but then around Christmas time um, that's usually around the time when people apply for the race and so I was really wondering what to do um, and you could say searching inwardly for you know is, is this the right thing for me and <laughs> I actually got a very interesting experience in my meditation you know again this feeling like look you know you're worrying too hard just don't worry about it you know it's almost like this you could say this inner command you know, you're worrying too much about it. You're putting too much, just stop, stop worrying about it. And so I, right there and then I just said, okay, I'm going to stop worrying about it. And then it just sort of transpired that maybe about a couple of weeks later, um, you know, a good friend of mine encouraged me to call the race director, just call the race director, hash it out with him. And what he said was, when I called the race director, you know, he was very nice. And he said, well, look, you know, if you really want to do it, we'll squeeze you in. But if you want my personal advice, um, I would train really hard this year and I would try and do it next year. 
And as soon as he said it, I knew that was the right thing to do. Um, so I actually reapplied for the 10-day race. And um, I was really glad I did because then the second 10-day race, I ended up doing 702 miles, um, which is, you could say, 70 miles a day. So that gave me a lot of confidence. You know, a lot of, you could say, training, as I was about to find out, a lot of training for 3100 is really just to give your mind confidence, you know, so you can show up at the start line, um, you know, and not be too scared about what's what's actually going to happen. So once I had achieved that 10-day result, then I knew I was ready for the um, for the 3100. So I did that 10-day race in 2014, and then in 2015, in June, that's when I did my first 3100-mile uh, race. Mm. And and just in I suppose in in a kind of a broader sense that example you've used there where you're you're ruminating over a decision and you're tend to be overthinking it uh, we all probably are guilty of doing that when you're putting that kind of question out there in your meditation is that is that a, a typical practice that you do if there's something on your mind is it something you kind of say right I'm I'm putting it there and I'm I'm leaving myself open for for guidance and for for something to to kind of influence you is is that how is that one of the other benefits I suppose you have from from the meditation practice Yeah definitely um I'm really glad you actually asked that because it's definitely something you could say that is more and more a theme of my life you know whenever I have some major crossroads or some major decision um very often uh, you know, I, I sometimes I'll even write a letter, you could say, to God or my soul or, you know, I'll just I basically say, OK, this is the <laughs> this is basically the issue at hand. You know, these are the facts. You know, I'll sign my name. I'll fold it up. I'll put it on my meditation shrine, um, you know, and I'll meditate for 10 or 15 minutes. And I'll consciously, you could say, really consciously leave that decision, you know, to God, uh, you know, to my soul, to the universe to sort out. Um, and I found that practice, you know, to be enormously helpful in dealing with all the different things uh, that I have to, you know, I mean, we all have, you know, different questions, different, uh, you know, stresses and strains in our life. I've definitely found that to be extremely um, useful over the years um, and, and uh, an extremely good alternative to stressing and worrying about it. Yeah. Yeah, very interesting. And just trust, trust what comes back or what comes up or, or whatever uh, interventions, I suppose, that come in, you know, yeah, like, exactly. like, like that call to the race director where maybe it's not normal for him to say, no, not this year, next year, but whatever way that transpired was yeah, exactly. the, the right thing, exactly. you know. It's a very gradual process. You know, definitely for me, it's taking, quite a few years to build up and it's you know uh, there's still times when i'm going when you know I'm, I'm doing this practice but there's part of me wondering oh god you know what if this happens or what if that happens um you know i guess it's this notion of like spiritual surrender just just being able to leave you know everything you know uh, to the higher forces and that's definitely a, a an evolving and ongoing process you know so it's not it's definitely not something that happens overnight it it it, it happens so yeah i guess the more inner experiences you get um the more experiences you have for you know everything does turn out for the best you know that just increases your confidence um you know so it's it's definitely something that's grown over the years yeah and your your trust i suppose trust levels uh kind yeah. of grow over over yeah, time exactly exactly 
the 3100, uh, your first escapade with that, I don't know if that's the right word, your first <laughs> attempt, uh, maybe just talk a little bit about that. And and obviously, there's a documentary, 3100 Run and Become, is something that mm-hmm. I would recommend folks to um, to check out. I'll, I'll definitely share links to it afterwards. I really enjoyed watching it there. Uh, I was on holidays recently, and we sat down to watch it. And it obviously not just about the 3100. It's about, I think it talks about, um, it goes into the run, a run from in, in Navajo, and there's also another one which I had never heard of before. The the one from Japan, the Gaioman San, is it the mm, that's, that's the like running a, monks? It's a thousand day, I think. Is it? Something? Yes, exactly. It's an ancient Buddhist tradition. These running monks, um, and when they run, um, you know, the, like ancient Buddhist tradition dictates, you know, that if they give up, they essentially, you know, have to commit suicide. I mean, I don't think it's ever actually happened, but it's, <laughs> it definitely gives the whole process a sense of urgency. Um, I mean, what's very interesting about, the, you know, that particular film is a lot of those cultures, like the other culture that's explored is, is the um, Botswana the the mm-hmm. yeah. the Oisan the 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 Bushman the San Bushman yeah um you know uh, the the director was able to get uh, access to both um you know like in Botswana and Japan that really had been very um um rarely granted to anybody you know basically because he's also a spiritual person so they understood you know that he was coming from a spiritual background, um, that um, and he was a- able to get you know that particular access to exp- explore those cultures. So the documentary, you could say, is really an exploration of why why people run, um, and and why they run the spiritual benefits of running and long distance running. And so, you know, from these four different backgrounds and four different cultures you really realize you know that this culture of ultra distance running and spirituality and the mingling of the two you know is actually quite a universal um a thing that's been practiced for you know many hundreds and thousands of years yeah so it's also <laughs> i mean i shouldn't say this because i'm also briefly in the documentary but i i found it very very moving you know uh, when i uh, when i watched it for the first time you know it's it's really something um yeah, that, that really at the very end, um, you're sitting there just realizing how, how moved you are. You know, the, the film, you know, it's, it's uh, I, for me, it was a very moving experience more than anything else. Yeah, no, it was a very well put together documentary. I was glad to uh, to have watched it. Maybe just tell me about your experience. So doing the 3100, uh, obviously, that's how many, what is it, four times uh the amount or three and a half times, four times plus the amount of what you would have ran before. At the 10 day, yeah. Yeah, for 53 days in, in New York in stifling heat a lot of the time. And I suppose that the idea behind the run is self-transcendence. And maybe is there some experiences you've had during it that, that got you to that place, whatever that looks like? Right, exactly. Um, so when I started it, I guess, um, what's... At the very beginning, and I guess with every race, I always start to uh, I, I you you always start a little bit slow. I mean, the last thing you want to do is get injured um, uh, on the very first day or the very first few days and be be carrying that injury around for the next five or six weeks. Um, and I guess in like so, I've done the race three times so far in 2015, 2017, 2019 this year, and the thing I found is that first of all, 
you know, the physical body um, it takes some time to adjust. So that usually happens in the first few days. Um, so there's a process of, of physical adjustment. And then next comes, you could say, the mental and emotional adjustment. Um, there comes a point at which you've realized, you know, you've been out in the course for um, seven, eight, nine days, you know, but you've still got about 35 more days to go. Um, so... There's a, you know, uh, there's definitely a process of mental adjustment, emotional adjustment, after which, you know, the mind starts to go. And, you know, when I, I shouldn't say the mind starts to go, but the mind definitely starts to quieten down. And that part of you that's becoming, that's, you know, resisting the whole experience um, begins to fade away. And you enter into a very natural state of meditation. Um, it's actually something that every year I do it becomes uh, much deeper and much more natural. Like I don't need to force it, you know, um, like I actually, you know, I do have, you could say meditation practices I do while I'm there, but somehow, you know, they become very easy to do. Like some part of me is, um, you know, Sri Chamoy used to say that uh, very advanced yogis, they get to a stage where, you know, when they're chanting mantras that, some part of their being or some part of their body automatically starts, you know, chanting the mantras, even if their mind isn't co consciously aware of it. And I'm definitely nowhere near that stage. You know, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't claim to be advanced at all. But um, there are definitely stages during the race where you just feel, you know, you're spontaneously meditating, you're spontaneously chanting these mantras. You know, some part of your being is really... Um, you know, even if your physical body is is tired or whatever it is, there's some part of your being that is absolutely having the time of its life. Um, and, you know, I have to say that's, I guess that's what keeps me coming back, um, you know, to do these races every year. You know, first of all, because of that experience, but also because that experience seems to get deeper every year. And, you know, you're sort of wondering, wow, can it actually get deeper, you know? Um, so you, you basically show up the next year to find out, you know? It's interesting. Just, just just one thing that triggers for me there now, I have never done this. I, at some point in my life, would like to do, uh, you know, like a 10-day silent retreat. And from what I hear of people going to those, you know, day three, four, those are the hardest days of it because your brain is still kind of jumping around the place. But once you get mm -hmm. past the day five or so, it seems as if things starting to quieten down and you get to that place that you've kind of just talked about after, you know, X amount of days running, um, the mind just starts to, to drop a lot of the, the kind of stuff that's going on. Um, it's just an interesting kind of parallel to what, what you mentioned uh, there. Right, exactly. Um I mean, one good thing I should say about the race, <laughs> I mean, at least for me, um, I, I, is that uh, I should say it's actually, I, I consider it to be a very safe space for s spiritual transformation. And what I mean by that is, you know, you're in an atmosphere where basically all the food is laid on, you know, you have a race doctor, you have a you know, you have a whole support crew of cooks and counters and, and, and people looking after your well-being. Um, so, you know, I, I you never really feel like you're in danger at any point. And in fact, you could say, <laughs> for me, the environment might even be a little bit safer than, let's say, going on a 10-day meditation retreat. Um, you know, because 
you know, with the, with the, you could say, you know, for meditating for many hours and being silent for many hours, you know, obviously you can't let off any steam. You can't talk to anybody. You can't, you know, and, you know, definitely, you know, if you're not experienced with meditation, you know, there definitely is a danger of, you know, being mentally unbalanced from doing too much meditation too soon. But the nice thing about the race is, is that when you're running, you know, like I, I have uh, this year, I had three, you could say, personal helpers that helped me at various stages during the race. You know, um, you know, you have the doctor, you have, you have basically people you can share your experiences with, that share your frustrations with. Um, you know, you can basically uh, get, um, you know, uh, these things out of your system. You know, if 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 they if they need to be gotten out, you know, rather than kind of uh, uh, keeping it uh, locked inside. Um, you know, so I've, I've, I've always considered it's kind of very interesting because, again, a, a lot of people ask me, you know, is it not very dangerous or is it not? But I've always considered it quite the opposite to be something very, um, you know, safe and nurturing, you know, that basically, you know, I can I can do, um, you know, my, my spiritual practices in a very protected space. Mm. And and from watching the documentary, the race director really has the final say on who, who continues and who doesn't. So if he sees somebody struggling, uh, mm. they can, he can he can pull pull them right if they're in danger. Yeah, exactly, so. exactly. Um, and usually they, they you know they very much err on the side of caution when it comes to that. Um, you know, uh, and but we do have you know there's a medical staff there. Um, and also one of the things I should also say about the race. Um, I guess a continuation of what I was talking about, um, because because there's so many people there that are dedicated, you know, to your well-being. Um, there's a tremendous atmosphere of like a very family atmosphere. You know, they all, you know, the people around the race almost become like members of your your family. Um, you really feel. You know, they just want to do everything for you. They, you know, whatever it is, they'll do. You know, people show up at the course with gifts and sweets and, you know, food and, um, you know, like helpers. Like, for example, you know, one of my helpers would basically be there at the course from something like 10 o'clock in the morning till one o'clock at night, you know, Um uh, you know this, the, and and you really feel it, and it's 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 incredibly moving. You know that all these people are putting so much effort and energy. You know just just making sure you're okay, um, and it, it goes a long way to alleviating any, um, you know, issues you, that you might be going through at the moment. And in fact, what it actually does is it it it, it makes you feel that you're actually not doing it by yourself, and you're not stuck out there in the course all alone. You know, that somehow we're all doing it together. Like even the other runners. I mean, it is a race. There is a first, second and third. Um, but, um, you know, the extent to which all the runners help each other and the extent to which, like, our support crew help. Um, I think that's another thing which, uh, um, you know, brings me back to the race every year. I mean, I've really never seen an atmosphere um, that's so, you could say, dedicated to everybody helping each other, to everybody, you know, treating each other um, like brothers and sisters, you know, it's almost like a microcosm of the way the world should be. And then when you leave the race, you actually become <laughs> more and more, you become like, like determined to do your, to play your own small little role in actually, you know, making the world like that, you know, whatever you can do to make, you know, the world that we live in now more like that world where everybody loves each other, respects each other and, you know, tries to help each other as best we can. 
Mm. No, you, you get a sense of that certainly from the from the documentary as well, and uh, you know, going through those emotions and through such a period of time, uh, definitely you can see everybody helping out for 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 sure. Just maybe conscious of time as well, and I do want to leave uh, teasers here for people to 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 explore more about it and watch the documentary from your three races. Uh, what's the kind of major standout from them? Is there any one experience that uh, stands out when when you think about the three of them? That's a good question. I don't think there's any. (laughs) Like I said, I had all my cosmic blowout experiences in the first day race. (laughs) That was your peak. It's all downhill from there. Yeah, it's it's been all downhill from there. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Actually, yeah, it's been... I guess it's been, hmm. I, I mean, I've had so many experiences, you know, I think it would be unfair to mention like a standout experience, um, but I could maybe just kind of pick one or two even from the most recent race. Um, hmm. yeah, one actually, a very interesting thing that happened in this year's race was that um I was running very well for the first 35 days, for the first five weeks. There was no drama, no incident. You know, my mileage was very regular and my mileage was was very steady. Um, And then in late July, they basically had a heat wave over the weekend, Saturday and Sunday, which was the worst basically weekend they've had in seven years so the temperature was something like 38 degrees and then with the humidity you could say the actual heat index was something like 41 or 42 and again we were talking about life experience earlier on i'd never actually run in that kind of heat wave before you know and everybody was um you know say okay be careful slow down you know sacrifice the miles you know and I, I thought I knew what they were talking about. So like on, let's say on the very first day of that heat wave, you know, I was running and I was really trying to, you know, make sure that everything was, um, was okay. And, um, but I actually still ended up doing my regular mileage. I just didn't see any reason to stop. Um, but then actually when I finished the race, I was so exhausted. Or when I finished the race that day, um, on the Saturday, um, like even, you know, trying to get to bed or the shower, you know, I, I I just couldn't even think about what to do next. And I just, uh, I said to my assistant who was helping me get to bed, you know, look, just skip all the different steps that we take, you know, massage, whatever it is, we're just going to bed, you know. And then, on the, so the next day um, I got up and I said, okay, we're not going to do that again. We're going to take extra breaks. We're going to be super careful. Um, but whatever it was, I ended up getting um, like, uh, and I probably started a little bit on that Saturday but, um, you know, heat exhaustion where you feel very dizzy, like inside your stomach, you know, it's kind of interesting. It's not a head dizziness. It's like a stomach dizziness. Um, and so for the next two weeks up until the finish, I'd say there were at least, uh, like six or seven days where I was walking either all day or, or part of the day. Um, and, that was that was a very interesting interesting experience on two levels. Like first of all, um, to just learn how to be happy no matter how well you're doing. So um, it was a real joy, you know, um, actually just to um, walk. You know, you couldn't run, you couldn't, and still learn that you could still be happy. 
you know, um, because we all have that, even in real life, you know, you could say with the things we want to do, some days we're going faster, some days we're going slower, but you can still be happy no matter what, you know. So that what actually ended up, you could say, being outwardly not a very nice experience um, actually ended up being a very, um, <laughs> you know, like interesting and, 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 and beautiful experience. And then the second thing what actually happened was, we had uh, a second heat wave, like not as big as the first, but maybe the temperatures were something like 35 again, and then then the humidity index maybe 38 or 39, and so that lasted for three days. And on the third day, you know, I, already by 10 o'clock in the morning, I got to the stage where you know I felt this dizziness coming on, and I had to start walking, and I was like, oh god, you know. And then, um, and it's kind of interesting, you know, because again, you know, the mind a little bit locks, gets locked into a, a solution or decision. It basically thinks, well, that's it. I'm going to be walking for the rest of the day. But for some reason, um, a friend of mine called a doctor who's into this ancient Indian Ayurvedic medicine. And I got on the phone and I talked directly to him. And he recommended the strangest thing. He basically recommended that I get some grass, like maybe about a handful of grass, and I put it um basically underneath the the arch of my foot in in between the sock and he said you do that and and then he also recommended some some buttermilk spiced with a cumin to line my stomach and he said if i did both of those things i would be running within the next um hour you know <laughs> which i found like wow right. um but i ended up doing both of those things and and guess what he was right i actually started running you know within the within the next hour you know, and, you know, from going from a situation where I, you know, I was settled, I was basically running for, uh, sorry, I was walking for the whole day and I couldn't see a way out of it to, 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 to being running um, was really quite a remarkable experience for me. I mean, I, I still don't really know what effect the grass actually has. Um, I did read some article actually about climate change in in um, the effects of climate change in America. And they were talking, I think Tucson, where they have something like 100 days over 100 degrees Fahrenheit. And for some reason, one statistic from that article plopped out at me um, was that like on concrete, they measured the temperature on concrete was 112 Fahrenheit one morning, asphalt 109, but grass was only 90 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, and that may have something to do with it, um, but you know, some I mean, sort of was, cooling effect or something like yeah, that. On it, yeah, yeah, it may it may be something like that. But whatever it was, I mean, it was really just uh, you could say just even for the mind, you know, because the mind had so decided that it was going to walk. You know, it was really just a, a a little lesson, you know, not to rule out anything and and just whatever it is, you know, don't give up, you know, and explore all the possibilities. So I guess those are two little experiences I had from 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 this last race. I mean, I could mention hundreds of them, but uh, I guess you know those two give you an idea. Okay, v- very good. Well, Nabasha, look, it was fascinating to hear your story in meditation. How you've kind of got into the whole area of um, meditation and, and running in in the areas with which Sri Chinmoy. Maybe tell us just to kind of wrap up, you know, what, what you're currently doing now, what's your plans for the future, how folks can maybe learn a little bit more about um, Sri Chinmoy, the, the meditation center, any ways they could follow up and get in touch perhaps. Right. Okay. Um, that's a good question. Um, so I guess what I'm doing, I'm actually kind of in between 
um, uh, things right now at the moment. Uh, like I was in, um, I actually worked for uh, six years as a, as a care assistant. I moved to Iceland in uh, late 2013 because a good friend of mine who actually was running the Sri Chamoy Meditation Center in Iceland, um, he was living with uh, motor neuron disease for many years. And so it got to a stage where he needed assistance um, with all the various tasks. So he asked, he, he basically asked me, could I come? And at that time I was in between jobs. So I was very happy to do it. And that was a very uh, fulfilling and rewarding experience because he himself had been meditating for many, many years, you know, and he really had such a, um, such a tremendous attitude. You know, he, first of all, um, you know, he really like in his face and in his countenance, you know, he was so peaceful. He really embodied what spirituality was all about. Um, actually, one interesting video, and it was actually done by the same director um, who did the 3100 mile uh, run and become. He did um, a, sh uh, like a short 10 minute video about um, my friend. Um, that featured in the Reykjavik International Film Festival. Um, so the, the 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 film is called uh, Seeker. Um, and actually, my friend's name is is, is Snatak. S N A T A K. So if you put like Snatak and Seeker, you know, uh, probably the video will. Uh, no, actually, certainly the video will come up. Okay. Um, so good. that's a, that's that's a, uh, that's definitely an interesting uh, ten minute uh, video to watch. Um, so I did, I basically did that until August or, or actually I left for the race in June and then I actually, um, you know, after the race, um, before I could, uh, meet him again, you know, my friend actually passed away. Um, but he, um, you know, it was actually very beautiful. We had a very beautiful memorial ceremony in New York and then also in Iceland, we had a very beautiful funeral, which was very you know, incredibly spiritual, and we really feel, in some way, he's he, he's still with us. So right now, I'm still in Iceland. You know, um, and I guess seeing what's next. One thing that's definitely changed this year between, like every year, I would do the race, um, and I really didn't know whether I was going to do it again. Again, it's the mind hesitancy, the minds. Uh, but actually, this year when I finished the race for the first time, I really felt, you know what? This is something I could do every year, you know, so I really wouldn't be surprised if 2020 you see me at the starting line um, at the race uh, again. Um, I really hope I can make it. Um, as regards to how people, you know, could find out about Sri Chamoy, um, we actually do a lot of events for the public, specifically in Dublin. Um, so probably the best way that people could find out is by going to DublinMeditation.org. And then they can find out, you know, what the latest events. We organize classes. We organize concerts. We actually have a, a two-mile fun run, you know, just informal fun run every morning in the Phoenix Park where a few of us come. So if you'd like to <laughs> show for that, you're, you're very welcome to go to the website and ring the number there. Um, you know, so that's that's definitely, uh, you know, the best way to find out about the uh, Sri Chamoy Centre here in Ireland and what we do. Okay, very good. I'll I'll definitely include that in there. And obviously, there are three Chinmoy centers all over the world, right? So there's folks that can check it out in in their uh, different yeah, countries. Yeah, exactly, exactly. We have uh, centers in about fifty countries all over the world. Wow. Okay, very good. It was great to hear the story, uh, Nervasa, and great to hear so much good has come out of it for you. Uh, definitely get a good sense from you that you're you're very. Uh, fulfilled from it you're you're in a happy place which is uh 
which is exactly where we all should be, I guess. And no matter how you get there, different ways, and this is certainly one potential way. So hopefully other folks listening, check out the documentary, um, maybe do further investigations. And I think just the last one on the on the 3,100-mile race, typically every year there's only, how many people start it? Maybe 20 or something or so? Is no, it? not even that. I think the most that's ever done it in any one year is 15. Um, so it usually varies between eight, eight 14 people um do it every year um so <laughs> it's 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 you know we you know there's not crowds at the starting line you know they don't yeah. have to separate them into waves like <laughs> like they do at the marathon <laughs> but there's no is there a limit to how many are allowed start or, or re- register uh, that's actually a good question theoretically no um, I think if, uh, from a practical level, if any more than 15 would do it, we definitely have to, you know, the race organisers would have to increase the infrastructure, you know, because one thing we really want to do, if somebody's, um, I think the philosophy is if somebody is brave enough and is uh, willing enough to put their feet on the starting line, then they definitely want to look after them as best they can and make sure, you know, that all their services are at their disposal. But, you know, I, I, theoretically, I don't think there's a limit. Okay, very good. Well, look, again, great to chat to you. Thanks so much for this. I'm looking forward to sharing this with uh, my listeners. And again, hopefully somebody or some folks will find it very interesting and and do further follow-ups. Oh, thank you. I have to say, you know, talking about it, you know, just gives me like so much joy, you know. So I'm really very grateful, you know, that, you you know, uh, we've had the conversation and you've given me the opportunity because it's almost, you know, sometimes when you talk about these experiences, it's almost like you're reliving them and uh you know it just gives you such a great feeling so i'm very grateful to you no thank you so much for taking the time to do it i I really appreciate it so this is the outro of the podcast guys you got to the end and that is great please hang in here for another couple of minutes i know most people won't but maybe there's something here of interest so check this out first off thanks so much for listening to this one as well as maybe the hundred or so that's gone before it Why not check them out if you haven't already? There's lots of good stuff in there. The whole podcasting journey for me has been a huge learning and I'm trying to help you guys learn and improve as well. So much has changed over the last few years since I started it. I've really realized lots of the goals that I put out there and then realized so many unexpected benefits as well. And I think anytime you take on action towards a goal you're going to pick up lots of things that you didn't expect along the way and hopefully they're good things in this particular episode was there any one or two things that jumped out maybe you could take a pen and paper out right now because this is something that you might think of during the episode but never do do it now take it out write down a goal that you're going to set yourself as a result of something you learned from this episode put a plan in place and then work towards it applying yourself deliberately over time, take ownership, build a habit, improve, get 1% better, share accountability with somebody you know in a buddy system and learn and grow and improve. That's what it's all about. That's my hopefully inspirational piece done. Other areas to note, check out the website rubofthegreen.ie. You can consume everything there for free. There is obviously the podcast, there's video, one minute Monday clips, there's articles, uh, not enough, but I'd like to put more there if you're interested in putting one there let me know and there's a get better at page which i'm starting to add new content to over time there's a feedback page if you want to email me rob at rob of the instead but it's all about trying to engage you and 
get you to a place of improvement so i'm open to feedback as i said ways you can help me is by following me on the socials at rob of the green.ie is the website or at rob of the green on all the social platforms subscribe to the podcast on any of the apps that you might listen to it on talk about it tell a friend about it tell your family members about it share some of the ideas not only to your friends but to me is there anything i can improve upon sign up to the newsletter that's there as well i'm experimenting again with a group called slack rob of the green on slack this is really for a shared accountability environment and sharing ideas you can sign up to that on the website as well all of this is obviously all free but there is also an option where you could subscribe to my patreon site and make a small donation for the content that we do it's there it's totally up to you everything that is coming in through that or could come in through that will go into making the podcast better so to close i am always trying to improve and get better change is difficult i know that but it's all about taking the first step learning something applying yourself moving forward you can do this i've been able to improve pushing myself outside the comfort zone learning and i think if i can do it so can you don't overreach don't set yourself unrealistic goals one percent at a time is enough but it's all about starting and that will bring you on your pursuit of betterness to a great place. Thanks for sticking to the very end. Talk to you next time and take care. Good luck.